Exodus chapter 19. We're going to read, if you haven't noticed, we've been reading through the uh, New Testament. If you don't have a Bible in here today, we'll get you one. How many needs a Bible? How many doesn't? How many needs a Bible? If you don't got a Bible, let us know. We preach here out of the King James Bible. Um, so if you don't have one, please make sure you ask us for one. We'll get you one. All right, Exodus chapter 19. And we're reading... In verse 1, and it says, In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day came they into the wilderness of Sinai. For they were departed from Rephidim, and there were come out to the desert of Sinai, and had pitched in the wilderness, and their Israel camped before the mount. And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called out to him and unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob and to the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bare you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, then shall ye be a particular treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. There are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And Moses came and the elders of the people and laid before their faces all these words which the Lord commanded him. And all the people answered together and said, All the Lord hath spoken, we will do. And Moses returned the words of the people unto the Lord. Let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you're so gracious to us as people. Lord, I just pray that you just bless uh, this time that we have together. I pray, Lord, that you just also please bless all those that made uh, effort to be obedient to your calling today. And I ask you, Lord Jesus, that you just please bless their hearts. I pray that you just also be with me, Lord, as I preach. May your hand of mercy be upon my speech, Lord, so people can hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I forget, Daniel, I want to let you know something. Happy birthday, first of all. But we're going to have hamburgers and hot dogs after the morning service today. Okay? Just for you, bud. All right? So... You can thank your mom and dad. We're going to just uh, do a surprise for you today. How about that? Is that enough of a surprise for you? All right. So everybody's welcome to join after the service uh, to be a part of that uh, celebration. Brother Attila asked me to ask, tell folks that before they took off. All right. So Exodus chapter 19 and verse 1, we find the story of what? The children of Israel and their what? They're at Mount Sinai. If you know the story about the children of Israel, were they a impetuous people? Yes. They are very impetuous. They are just like me when it comes to ice cream. I love ice cream, and I see an ice cream stand. Guess what? I have to eat it. And sometimes it's not good for me, but I love ice cream. Amen, brother? Maybe that's with the tacos, you know? You sit there, you see the taco stand, and you say, I want some tacos, okay? Uh, especially those, I went to, um, when I was growing up, we used to have the, uh, 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 what do they call that? The, uh, now I forgot the place of it. La Fiesta over on Archer Avenue. Right, and they'd had the home of the giant burrito. Oh man, was that delicious! Couldn't go in there and not get that giant burrito. Amen. Uh, uh, but you know what? As the children of Israel were impetuous, God had chosen them for a reason. Uh, God had made them His people. God had made them, as it says here, He wanted them to become a what? A kingdom of priests. A kingdom of priests. Now I ask you this question: As a person that is uh, not a priest but a pastor, praise God. Uh, I do believe in the, the Holy Spirit's working in people's hearts. I do believe that Jesus Christ has to save you in order for you to have a relationship with Him. Uh, you have to have the Holy Spirit convict your heart and have you want to turn from uh, darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. But these children of Israel, they were chosen by God and God was working with them and working with them and working with them. And He had taken them out of the land of Egypt. What was Egypt again? I referenced this a couple weeks ago. But the land of Egypt was considered the land of the world. The land of sin. And as Christians, sometimes we get wrapped up in this world. The Bible says that we should be not uh, of this world, but we're going to be in it. Amen? And as I read this message here, I see the introduction that God gives the children of Israel. He says, look, you are going to be my people. Now, we already knew that. God had promised Abraham. He had promised Jacob. He had promised Isaac. He says, look, you're going to be my people. 
And as he gets to this Mount Sinai, there was a million plus people there. They were gathered around the mountain. God had miraculously taken them out of the land of Egypt. He had, they had escaped the clutches of the uh, Egyptian army through God parting the Red Sea. There was some excitement in what God had done. And so God stands before these people and He promises to them something special. What does He promise them? He promises them that they were going to be a kingdom of priests. What is a kingdom of priests, you might say? You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? What is a kingdom of priests? Well, if you understand what a priest was in the Old Testament, it was somebody very, very important. It was somebody that you had to look up to because it was someone that God had anointed, someone that God had put on a place of authority. And you look at that and you say, why would God tell the children of Israel that they would be a kingdom of priests? Thinking about my own personal walk with God, and I understand that we have to go to a high priest. Who is our high priest today? Jesus Christ. The Bible says that there is one, what? Mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom in due time, that we testified in due time. Listen to me. Your high priest is Jesus Christ. And so when I get up in the morning, I don't go to a man. Listen to me. I don't go to a man to confess my sin. You know why? Because that man can do nothing for me. Oh, if you come to me and say, Pastor, I'm in, in this uh, horrible sin, this egregious sin against God, and, and I need help, what, would, what, would, I, what would, would your pastor do? Well, your pastor would say, listen, I'm going to pray for you, but you need to go to Jesus Christ and ask forgiveness. You need to go to Jesus Christ and repent of your sins. You need to go to Jesus Christ because He is our high priest. But you see, God had told these people that they were going to be a kingdom of priests. As a Christian, listen to me, you have the opportunity to be the priest of your home. You have an opportunity to stand before God and you can be able to cry out to Him and ask Him for things. You can ask Him to petition you for things. You think about the unrest that's going right now in our own country. You think about some of the political mire that our country is in. You say, how is this country ever going to eliminate this? Just yesterday I saw that and they had a huge rally on Capitol with a whole bunch of people who were going to pray. Listen to me. The first thing that any Christian has to do in order to become a kingdom of priest is they have to acknowledge they need a relationship with a, a true God. I can't tell you how many people have been so uh, set aside by the things of this world. Egypt, the Egyptians had everything. When they, the children of Israel came to the new land, they were complaining. And what were they complaining about? They said, what about our leeks and our onions? I tell you what, I love some good melons, especially watermelons. The other day, I don't know, my mother-in-law... Uh, my wife went down for my aunt's, her aunt's funeral down to Missouri, or Misery, whichever one you want to call it. But, oh, I'm sorry, I know, Miss Barbara. I, I know I said it the wrong way, didn't I? I forget you're from there. Uh, but anyway, you know, I, I, she went down to Missouri, and they went to the store, and they got one of these watermelons that was just as sweet as candy. Amen. A little bit sweet of dulce. Amen. And uh, I told you what, I cold cut that thing up. Or I didn't cut it up. My daughter did. And I took one bite of that watermelon. Boy, I wanted to have one, two, three, four, five. It was just delicious. It was the sweetest. It was just so sweet. I mean, I've tasted some watermelons in my lifetime that were just, uh, they were okay. But this one just, uh, just melted in your mouth. And, and it wasn't even better was the fact that my wife had put it in the fridge so it was ice cold. So on a warm day, eating a cold, sweet watermelon, boy, I tell you what, there's nothing like that. And I kind of wonder if the children of Israel had that in their mind when they were standing there eating manna. Now, I don't know if you know what manna is, but it's basically, it's a sweet bread, from what I understand. Uh, my dad said, they compared it to like a, um, I don't know, my, what do they call that, angels, angels food? Cinnamon. Is it cinnamon, something like cinnamon? I don't know about, but angel food is kind of that type of material. I don't know, nobody can really say, but we do know that it was some type of a sweet bread. It was something delicious, and it came down from heaven. Now, I don't know about you, but I get, I'm one of those people that get sick of certain things. My dad, when we were growing up, he, he, for a time, was in charge of getting me and my brother breakfast before we headed out the door. 
And my father is, if you know my dad, he's the same guy, uh, uh, whether 20 years ago he likes the same food. He could eat the same thing over and over and over and over again. And my mom is the opposite, and I'm a lot like my mother. She does not like to eat the same thing over and again. She is one of those people that literally she wants something different every day of the week. And I'm the same way. I like, some, I like variety. I, you know, they say variety is the spice of life, you might say. And, uh, and I love variety, but my father, he was consistent all the time. And he would make us egg sandwiches every day. And it got to the point where me and my brother, even though we were grateful that my dad had given us those egg sandwiches, we got sick of it. Got to the point where we were throwing them out the window because we didn't want to eat them. My dad found out and he was so disappointed. I sweat and I slay over that stove every morning for you guys to have those egg sandwiches. Why aren't you eating them? I remember being so saddened that I disappointed my father. But listen to me, that's what these Israelites were like. They had eaten manna day after day after day, day after day. And they had come to a point where they were complaining. What about our leeks and our onions? They definitely were not a priesthood, a kingdom of priests, were they? They were set up to be what? A kingdom of sinners. They had no understanding of what God wanted to do and had no understanding of where God wanted to bring them. But God says right here, He says, I want to make them a kingdom of priests. You might ask yourself, what is my life all about? You might ask yourself, uh, what is my life supposed to be? What are my goals? What are my direction? I would hope that as a Christian that your goals and directions are all about what God's kingdom has for you. But our life can literally be the same thing as everybody else. It can be the same doldrums of going to work, feeding your face, going to bed, getting up the next day and doing it all over again. That could be your life. But listen to me, God has a life for you. He doesn't just want you to live in the status quo. He just doesn't want to live in a, in a life that's in the doldrums, that has to face some of the same disappointments that everybody else has to face. Don't say, uh, don't say pastor. Don't say you're talking prosperity gospel. No, I'm not. What I'm preaching is the abundant life that God has for you. Will you have disappointments? Yes, you will. But that doesn't mean that God's not in the middle of them. Just this week I heard a story about a, a young lady that I knew growing up. I was probably in high school when she was in college. This young lady had gone, she, her parents were missionaries to Mexico. And she had, uh, her name was Benita Sharp. And Benita was a sweet, sweet girl. And, and she married a, a man that became a missionary uh, to everywhere in the world. He set up radio towers for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be preached in Africa and, and in Asia and in uh, Mexico. And, and everywhere in the world he was putting up these huge radio towers for people to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. This young lady had quite a testimony. Benita did. She was a, a Bible college graduate. She had gone on to serve the Lord and she had five precious children. Just this week, she was in a horrible car accident. It was pouring down rain and she had a head-on collision with another person. And as I read that story of her life and some of the things that she had done, I was excited because I realized she got saved at an early age and she lived for Jesus Christ all her life. I turned to my daughters as I listened to that story and I says, listen, you have a great opportunity. Think of it with me. You now have an opportunity to live for Jesus for all of your life, just like Benita did. Does God have something special for you? You say, Pastor, I grew up in not a Christian home. I grew up in a home where uh, sin was prevalent. Pastor, I grew up in a home that didn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. How am I going to continue to serve God? How can I look at Jesus in the face? Well, listen to me. The great thing is, is God is a merciful Savior, isn't He? He loves us every day of the week. And when you turn to Him, it's just like the prodigal son. Even though I was grew up in a Christian home and my dad was a pastor, praise God, I got saved at the age of 12. I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. And at 12, God changed me from being what I thought I wanted to be to someone that God wanted me to be. And God can do the same thing for you today. Listen to me. The first thing that everybody has to understand in their understanding of becoming a kingdom of priests in this church, being God's chosen people, is that God has chosen you. Listen to me. If you're sitting here today and you hear the Holy Spirit speak to your heart, God is calling. The Bible, turn your Bibles 
to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. The Bible says in verse 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. I'll read that again if you didn't get to it yet. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26, For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Listen to me. You say, Pastor, I'm not a, a spiritual person or pastor. I've had struggles with my entire life with sin. And, and I, I have a struggle with it, Lord, or with, a, with the Lord being a, a Lord of my life. Listen, today can be different. Today you can surrender to Jesus Christ. Today you can say, Jesus, I need you to be my Savior. I repent of my sins and I put my faith and trust in you. I turn my back on the way I'm going. I'm going to go start looking to you, the author and finisher of my faith. Listen to me. As you turn to Jesus Christ, God will see you turn. And as you turn, Jesus looks at you and says, just like the prodigal son, he'll put his arms around you. He'll love you. And he will change you from the person that you were into a person that you should be. God loves you so much, just like the prodigal son. The Bible says that he put his arms around him. He put on a new robe on his back and he put a ring on his finger. What did that ring signify? He was a son of God. Praise God. That's what Jesus wants to do with you today. Jesus wants to change your life from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God. He wants to forgive you of your sins. He wants to put you on a new path. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 118, says the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is what? The hope of his calling. What the riches of glory of his inheritance in the saints. Listen to me. When Jesus Christ saves you, he gives you a great hope. That hope is that you don't have to worry when you die where you're going to go. You can know that you're on your way to heaven. You can know that your sins are forgiven. You can know that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. God did never intend for you to be able just to go through life walking around aimlessly, blinded by your sin, blinded by this world, blinded by your flesh. God wants you to get up through life with that true hope of your calling, which is what? The calling of the Holy Spirit who speaks to your heart today. The song, I love this song. It says, softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. O sinner, come home. Oh, for the wonderful love that he promised, promised for you and me. Though we have sinned, he has mercy and pardon. Pardon for you and me. The last verse says, Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. Love that song. Why? Because it's literally telling me every day when I'm sinning and I stand before a holy God, God's still calling me, hey, come home. Come home. I am so thankful for my family. Thankful for my mom and dad. Just this day, uh, yesterday, I got to spend time talking to dad, talking to mom, and spend a little time seeing how they're doing. Uh, my mom and dad, they don't—they live in a, uh, a little trailer and they go from place to place to place. They don't really have a place they call home. But one of the nice things is it doesn't have to be a building. It's, a pl it's not just a building. Where is it at? It's something in your heart. When you get together with family, it's a place called home, isn't it? You get together. When we were with, just recently, my grandmother died. And I got to be with my brother and my sister and my mom and my dad. And I said, boy, it was exciting. Why? Because I was with my family. I was home. And listen to me, as a Christian, God is calling you home. He says, listen, you have brothers and sisters here who are going to love you and take care of you. You have a God who loves you and he's going to take care of you. You have a church home that's going to love you and take care of you. And someday I'm going to go to my heavenly home, which is heaven. Praise God. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere behind the blue. The angels beckon me beyond the open door and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Listen to me. God loves me and He's given me a heavenly home. God knew you before anyone else. 
did. He knew when you were just in your mama's belly. She was in that womb. He knew. The Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, what does the Bible say? I sanctify thee. Now he's talking about Jeremiah. He says, I ordain thee a prophet unto the nations. Listen, God knew you before you were even born. People say, well, it's okay to have an abortion. Listen to me, that's a creature of God right there. That's a creature of God. You stand here today and say, oh, abortion's okay. Why is it okay? Because people want the freedom to do sin. People want the freedom to live in immorality. People want the freedom to be able to do what they want to do with their lives. But listen to me, God's got something greater. And God knew of you before you were even born. You say, every child's like that? Yep. He knows the very hair on your head. He knows when you're going to die. He knows everything about you. He knows your future. Wouldn't you want to place someone that knows that much about you in their hands? Your future in their hands? But listen to me, Christians today are more content to let someone else, they're content to let the government tell them what to do. They're content to let somebody else in their family tell them what to do. They're content to let somebody else dictate where they should go. They're content to say, boy, I'm smart enough that I can do that. No, listen to me. The only person that's smart enough to dictate and show you what you need to do in your life is Jesus Christ. He loves you and He died for you. And there's nobody in the world that loves you more. Think about my own mother's love. And I think about the love that I have for my children. Boy, I have six children. I'm praising God for His goodness. And I'm thankful for every one of them. I thank you for those five girls and that one boy that God has given me. Praise God! But listen to me. As much love as I have for those children, Jesus loves them even more. I'll tell you what. As a Christian, I am so floored about the fact of how much Christ loves me and gave Himself for me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29, Whom He did foreknow, He did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5, Having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to Himself. Listen to me. Jesus knows your heart. He knows where you stand. And he's not here saying, well, this person's going to get saved and this person's going to get saved. I'm going to let this person get saved and not let this person get saved. No, what he's saying is, is he knows your heart. He knows if you're going to turn to God or if you're not. He knows if you're going to turn from the power of Satan and to God. He knows that. And as I stand here today, I'm telling you right now, if you're unsaved and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've never repented and turned to Jesus, listen to me, you're on a path of destruction. You're on a path headed to hell. And God wants to save you. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now listen to me. If you're saved in here, i got another path for you. If you do know Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm saying praise God. Hallelujah. What I'm also saying is God has chosen you to be sanctified. What does sanctified mean, Pastor? That's not a name, that a word that we use a lot. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, sanctified literally means, you ready for this? I got all your attention? I know you're all sitting on the edge of your seat, right, Cecily? <laughs> sanctified means set apart. How many's ever had pancakes with syrup? Okay? Love pancakes and syrup. Now, I don't know about you, it's really hard not to have pancakes without syrup. Okay? You set them apart, right? You have to have both of them to eat them. Now, in my family, we don't just do syrup. We do butter. And I know this might sound gross to some of you. We put peanut butter on there. And we even go a step further. We might put some chunks of fruit, pineapple, uh, some strawberries on there. Boy, they get done with that. You'd think, what in the world? That looks like a diabetic overdose. And I tell you what, I eat some of that stuff. I love it. Those things are what? You can't set them apart, can you? They're there for a reason. Why? They taste good together. Listen to me. God sets you apart from the rest of this world. When you're a Christian and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, let me tell you something. God has set you apart from this world. You are to be different. How are you going to be a nation of priests? It starts right here by being sanctified. The Bible says here in Exodus chapter 19, verse 5, this is the text, this is the 
uh, text of what we read already. It says, Now therefore, if you obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a what? Say it with me. Peculiar treasure. Peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. Listen to me as a Christian. Listen, God loves you, and if you He's died for you, and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God has set you apart from the world. You are peculiar. I don't know about you, but there are some things that I see very peculiar to me. Some things that I want to set apart. Some things that are important. They're special. Um, I was growing up. I remember some of the, my favorite toys. How many had a favorite toy growing up? Uh, oh, nobody? Man, I must be the only person. Daniel, good. I got one person on my side. Uh, I had a favorite toy. It was, you guys going to laugh, but it was the day. I'm really showing my age, Sister Kim. I like a Fisher Price. Ready for this? Record player. What are records? Now, some of you young people, I see Chloe back there going, what? What's a record? Record's like a big CD, okay? Except it wasn't a CD. You put a little needle on a track and it went round and round and round. I remember listening to Davy, Davy Crockett, King of the Wild Frontier. I listened to those songs. I would listen to those over and over again. I love that thing. It was something special to me. I didn't get rid of it until I was 14 years old. I think I sold it at a garage sale for five bucks. Boy, I remember that thing was just so special. I got it for Christmas one year. I can think of another toy that was really special treasure to me. I've probably told this story a zillion times, but it's such a great illustration. I remember Christmas Day. Uh, we never, we didn't have a lot of money growing up, so uh, for mom and dad to get something real special, like a bicycle, was a big deal. I remember my dad would go to the junkyard, and this is back in the early 80s, but we still had the banana boat seats that you could drive right in the 70s. Had the big old seat like this. And I think the ones that I drove uh, had flowers on it, if I remember correctly. And it was so such an humiliation to drive that bicycle. And, and especially around my friends, they had all the new BMX bikes. And, and I'm driving this little, I don't know what it was, had the big old curly Q handybars like this and had the big seat like this. Don't laugh, Lewis. I know you want to. But I just love, I had to sit on that bicycle. I rode it everywhere. Probably 1975 when it was made. This is probably 86, 87. And I remember I went to Benjamin Franklin. I lived in a small town, and that was the only place that we'd go to. Walmart was not popular at that time. It was basically just coming to an existence. And I remember I went to Benjamin Franklin. They had two huffy bikes in the window. They were called street heats. They had, this is phenomenal at the time, they had white tires. White tires. That's just crazy. You know, as a kid, it blew my mind. All the bikes that I've ever seen since had black tires, but this had white tires. Whoa, that's cool. I remember as a young person, every day we went to Benjamin Franklin. I remember coming by and seeing that bike and getting so excited, wanting that bike. One day I came home and or came to the store and I noticed the bike was gone. I was so disappointed. They still had the girl's bike, but the boy's bike was gone. I don't remember how, I think I remember to this day how much it was. It was $54. $54. I don't know what the uh, price of inflation it would be today, but it was a lot of money. And I thought, oh man, I'm so disappointed. I remember coming home with my head held uh, down. You now Christmas time rolled around. And I remember walking into the den of our family's uh, house and I walked in, I saw this huge tarp, and there was like this handle sticking out the side of it. I was kind of wondering, wow, Mom must have got something really nice for Dad. It must be some type of tool. I walked out. The next time I looked, we opened all our gifts, and we were, yeah, it's Christmas Day. Every kid loves their gifts. I remember my parents looking at me and said, son, she says, look, I've got one more thing for you. So I, well, they took me in the den. I'd already been in there, and I'd already seen it, so I kind of knew what was happening. And they opened that door, and sure enough, they took the tarp off there, and there was that street heat bicycle with the white tires. Boy, I tell you what, I love that bicycle. It was something what? I loved. I kept that until I was 16 years old. I think I fixed it up and even put new tires on it and gave it to another kid. Because why? It was something special to me. It wasn't something you just threw away. Listen, as a Christian, Jesus looks at you just like I look at that bicycle. It was something, he is, you are something special to him. It's not just something that he throws away. You as a Christian need to understand that God has set you apart. Titus chapter 2 and verse 14 says, 
who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a what? Peculiar people. I'll read it again. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a what? Peculiar people, zealous of good works. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Peter in chapter 2 and verse 9. I'll give you a second to turn there. God has chosen you to be sanctified. And this verse proves it. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. But ye are a what? Chosen generation. A chosen generation. A royal priesthood. And holy nation. And what does it say? Appeal to kill your people. You are different. That ye should show forth praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What a great verse. I'll tell you what, if you're if you can't get excited out of that verse, I'm gonna start saying, Boy, your exciter's broke as a Christian. I tell you what, that gets me excited to know what God has for you. So what does it mean to be particular? Well, first of all, I believe in being particular. We are particular in our attitude towards sin. There's three things that God's called us out to be. And the first thing is he's called you out to be pure. Um, As a a Christian, I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect, but you should be pure. What does that mean? That means that whenever you see sin, you take care of it. You see it in your life. You don't let it continue. You don't let it fester. You say, this is wrong, and I need to ask God to forgive me of it. Does your pastor sin? Don't tell anybody. I do. What? Yeah, I sin. I might even sin yesterday. Don't tell anybody. What? Really? The Bible says, if he that say he has no sin, he deceives himself, and the truth is not in him. Everybody's a sinner. I'll tell you this, the Pope, the President, the Congress, they're all sinners. I don't care who you are, you are a sinner. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I don't care how much you give to the church. I don't care how many times you darken this door. I don't care any nice things you say to your pastor. You are still a sinner. Praise God. God saved me from my sin. But you should be pure. What does that mean to be pure? It means that you are willing to say, God, forgive me. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. My father used to tell me, 1 John 1, 9. What does that mean? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Say it. Forgive us our sins. And to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God has asked you to say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to continue to sin. I put my faith and trust in you, but I need to continue to live by faith. And that includes making yourself someone who's willing to ask God to forgive you for the sins that you continue to commit. Secondly, not only has God changed our attitude, but he wants us to be holy. What does it mean to be holy? Well, in God's eyes, it's someone that's sinless. Sinless. Now, I'm not going to tell you, and I just already told you, I'd be a hypocrite to say that there's someone in here that's sinless. But once we don on that new garment, once we put on that white robe, God changes our heart, changes our spirit. We don't allow for sin to continue. And number three, if you're peculiar in your attitudes from sin, we are redeemed from all iniquity. What does it mean to be redeemed? I used to, there's a story not too long ago about the uh, little boy I tell in Sunday school class that had a boat. And his little boat, he took out on the lake, and that, that little boat flew, uh, went down the river, and he couldn't catch it. And the, broke, the string broke that he had on the little boat, and it took off, and he, never, he didn't see it. He was so saddened by that little boat, even though he had made it and created it and painted it, he loved that boat. One day... While he was going by the toy shop, he saw that very same boat that he had made and painted and created. And he says, that's my boat. And he goes in, he tells the store owner, hey, that's my boat. The store owner says, I'm sorry, it's not. It's mine. I found it. It's mine. I got to keep it. Well, it's still my boat. Well, if you want it, you're going to have to pay for it. So what does that little boy do? He goes back and he earns that money. And he comes back and one by one coin he puts it in front of that store owner and says, give me my boat. And listen to me, Jesus Christ has redeemed you from your sin. God created you, but you became what? Through sin, you've become a fallen race. 
you have become someone that you'd say is now the father is your de- is the devil. Jesus sees you right now and he has purchased you from the devil. He has said, nope, with his own blood, God has bought you from your sin. Well, I tell you what, if that doesn't stop us from sinning, I don't know what will. But praise God, God has redeemed us from all iniquity. Not only does he re- means us to be peculiar in our attitude toward sin, but also he needs to be as peculiar in our attitude toward others. There should be nobody in this room that is a, calls themselves a Christian and is living a double life. It should not be said that a Christian in here, when you get around people that know you on a consistent basis, especially at work, that you stand up for truth, that you stand up for right, you love, you respect others, you have a spirit of what? Kindness. I would hope that would be the case in every person's heart and mind here. Thirdly, not only should we be peculiar in our attitude towards others, but we should also be peculiar in our attitude toward God. The other day, I think I kind of blew the socks off this guy. I was at Starbucks out there in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and and I was working on a machine out there. And as I walked in the door, I'm finishing up, and this guy talked to me. He says, boy, we sure appreciate you. And I said, how's that? He says, you guys fix fix these machines and keep the coffee flowing. I said, well, praise God, that's wonderful. I said, I'm just thankful that I can still be working here and have the knowledge to do it. As I was finishing up my, my thing, the guy comes to me and he says, Hey, we're having a Bible study outside. Would you be willing to join us? The guy that was a part of it didn't, wasn't able to come. I think I blew his socks off and I said, Well, you know what? That would be great. Anytime I can talk about Jesus, I will. You know I'm a pastor of Garfield Ridge Baptist Church in Chicago. What? He just kind of looked at me with two eyes, kind of like couldn't, couldn't get it through his head and and uh, we had a sweet time of fellowship and talked about Jesus Christ and the love Jesus Christ has for us. Now he saved me and changed my family and my life. Praise God. But listen to me. We need time to praise God. We need time. You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? I mean, there should be time where you get together with other people and just talk about the goodness of Jesus. It should not be something that you're just complaining all the time. You're like the Israelites before God called them out. Well, you're just a complaining people. Uh, I woke up with a headache today. Uh, well, there's some people you talk to and you wonder, what in the world? How'd you even get out of bed in the morning? I'd be depressed if I was like that all the time. Praise God. God gives us more than that. We need to be praising God. Secondly, being a peculiar person with an attitude towards God, we need to be doing good works with God in mind. Now, I've added something to that. I didn't say good works. What did I say? Good works with God in mind. You're doing everything for God's glory, for God's edification. Not for your own, but for what? Jesus. As you turn to Jesus Christ, no longer are you looking for doing good works because you want the respect of others, but instead you want the respect of your Heavenly Father. The Bible even tells us that when you give, don't even let know what your left hand, know what your right hand is doing. Now, I don't know about you, but if I start clapping my hands... I think my left hand's going to know what's going on, don't you? You know, uh, sometimes when I'm eating, both hands know what's going on because I'm doing one of these numbers, okay? But listen to me. The Bible's very clear that we need to be what? Someone that's concerned about our relationship with God, but we're concerned with God in mind. Praise God. And being a peculiar people, we are to be a people to good treasure. People might not like what we believe, but they will know we are different. People might not like what we believe, but they love our spirit toward them. Galatians chapter 5, it tells us the fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Listen to me. When a Christian walks in a room, it shouldn't be, oh, here comes old uh, preacher Joe. I don't want to listen to him because he preaches hate. Don't get me wrong, there's going to be some people that might even say that, but listen to me, there should also come along with someone that they just can't resist being around. Why? Because you're infectious. You're infectious. And they see you, boy, they just get excited because they know that you have a sweet, sweet spirit. The Bible says, For ye were sometimes, in verse 8 of chapter Ephesians chapter 5, you were sometimes in darkness, but now you're in the light of the, world, the, the, light of the, the Lord. Walk as children of light. 
It should be, man. You walk into a room, you are light. You don't have to turn the light on. You're so bright. Praise God. I'm just saying that in illustration. I'm not being factual on that. But I'm saying you should be something different. And in that attitude, it should be someone that has a hard work ethic. Someone who is a, a people person. They have strong communication and relationship ability. They love their enemies. Whoa! Pastor, hold on! Whoa! Used to have this little boy that we bring home from church. He was, his name was Matt. Matt had red hair. He was the cutest little kid. And my mom, she'd make green beans. And this little boy had never, ever had to eat vegetables. His mama never made him eat them. Five, six years old, I think. I think he was five. And we sat there at the supper table, and my dad put a big scoop of green beans on his plate. And you'd think that boy saw a, a, a snake on his plate. Because he got all saying, whoa. He did one of these numbers. He literally did that. Whoa. Just like this. I think some Christians are like that, right? You know, love my enemy? Whoa! No! Listen to me. God's given you the spirit of not fear, but a spirit of love. God has given you folks and me. When I say you folks, I'm talking about me as well. The ability to forgive others. So sad. And I know some families. I'm thankful that God saved my family at an early age. I was very young. My dad was in his 30s. My mom was in her 40s. And I think about the goodness of God. Our family gets together. It's a good time. But there are some families. They get together. And it's a time of hate. It's a time of bitterness. I know specifically. We've been around a funeral just recently. Not my family. But Cassie went to her funeral. And she saw some of the family members couldn't even look each other in the eye. There was so much hatred and bitter and angerness, anger and bitterness. You say, how is that? They didn't love their enemies. The Bible says to do good to them. Whoa, go the opposite way? It's interesting. How many, there's a story about the Romans. The Romans and, and, and Roman law, that if you weren't a Roman, the Romans could do some things to you. The Jewish people hated the Romans. Why did they hate the Romans? Because they could do things specific. And one of those things was that they literally could tell someone to carry a load for them for a mile. Did you know that? If a Roman citizen came up to a Jewish person, they would say, here, take this. I got my rock here. Here, take this for a mile. They had to walk a whole mile with a load. Just because someone asked them to. It's a complete stranger. Now I can see doing it out of the kindness of your heart. But can you imagine? So what do you think about Juanita? you think about that? Think about your worst enemy. And they say, here, take this. By law you had to. you think you had a really good spirit after you let that, that load go? I don't think so. It could be the worst people too. The worst, nastiest people. And they could say it with such disdain. And they could call you all kinds of names and you still had to carry that load. Can you imagine that? Jesus told them, listen, if someone asks you to carry it one mile, what does he tell you to do? Carry it two miles. Can you imagine the look on that Roman's face if a Jew took that and said that was important to him? And he says, Jesus says that, so I should do that. He picks it up with a smile on his face. And he takes it one mile. He says, are you going another mile? Great, I'll take it for you then. Can you imagine the look on his face as that Roman looked at him and went, what's wrong with this guy? And listen to me, as a Christian, you should be one someone that loves your enemies. There shouldn't be bitterness. They do wrong to you. You do everything good back to them and love them. I had just recently had that happen to me. I had a manager who said some awful things to me. And you know what I says? You know what? I'm going to do all the extra mile for this lady. I'm going to do everything I can to help her. You know what's funny? The other day, you know what she told me? I trust you. You make, you make good decisions. I trust you. Even though she said these bad things about me, she turned to me and says, I trust you. All because what? The Bible says I to love your enemies. It says it will literally heap fires of coal, hot coals upon their head. Now, I don't want to put hot coals on anybody's head. But listen to me as a Christian. Obedience is the first thing that you need to do. Love your enemies. 
And number four, you need to be unselfish. One last point. The Bible says God has chosen you to have great rewards. You say, what is the great thing about being a peculiar people? Well, God says, I'm going to make heaven your home. Heaven's your home. John chapter 14, verse 2. In my father's... Oh, this is great. I hope you get excited. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have not. I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. God says, I got a mansion for you in heaven. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves, what? Treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God not only gives you a home in heaven, but listen to me, when you surrender Him and you become a person who is uh, sanctified and set apart and surrendered to Jesus Christ, Jesus says, I'm going to give you an abundant life. I was talking to my uh, aunt the other day, and she says, uh, what do you, how do you do that? She says, you're pastoring, you work a full-time job, and you have six kids, and your wife home, you and your wife homeschool them. How do you do it? I don't know. <laughs> Praise God, I got a wife with a good work ethic, amen. Praise God that he's given me, and I told him this, an abundant life. I have so many things to be thankful for. The goodness of God bringeth men to repentance, and that's sure my case. John chapter 10 and verse 10 says, The thief cometh not for but to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come that they may have life, and they may have it what? More abundantly! Do you have an abundant life today, folks? Are you excited about what God's given? What do you mean by abundant life? It means full of fruit. Amen? I hope your life's full of fruit. Number three, not only has God given us an abundant life, but the great reward is that He is your, going to be your constant companion and friend. My little girls, if you've met Kate and Callie, they are two peas in a pod. One was born, they were born about four minutes apart. And from day one, they've been off again, but they've always been friends. On again, off again, friends. Do you know what's funny? They're always doing things together. Eric, you're going to laugh. Whenever you ask one of them, do you want this? They have this consultation between the two of them. When they were real little, they had their own language. I don't know what they were saying half the time, but they knew what they were saying. And they'd be jabbering back and forth, and they knew exactly what each other wanted needed. It's exciting. Listen to me. When you get saved and ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior, He becomes a constant companion and friend. The Bible says in, in Isaiah chapter 41, verse 8, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. The Bible says in James chapter 2, and verse 23, The scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called what? The friend of God. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never what? Leave thee nor forsake thee. Boy, what a great promise. That's what you get when you become a set apart, sanctified person of Jesus Christ. And one last point. He's also an advocate in time of trouble. Have you ever felt alone? Lonely? Jesus is there for you. If you're saved here and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. And if you're not saved, let me tell you, you can have this. The Bible says in Psalms chapter 46 and verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, uh, therefore will not we fear, Though the earth be removed and through the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof, there is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her in that right early. The heathen raged and the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice and the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord, which what desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow. He cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in fire. 
Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the Lord or in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Well, I tell you what, that is such a precious, precious promise. I tell you what, there has been times where I felt lonely. The reason I felt lonely is because I haven't been trusting in God like I should. How about it, folks? Are you God's chosen people? Are you someone that God has chosen? Are you someone that's still living a life that's contrary to the will of God? It's up to you. As Chloe comes and she plays the invitation for us, I ask you to examine your souls. Maybe you're here and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Man, today, don't put it off. God loves you. He wants the best for you. Don't put it off. Maybe you're saved here and you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, but you have not put your life in His hands. You've not surrendered completely to His will. Do it today. I'm going to be down here praying for me and for this church. If God spoke to you, come. You come to this altar. You can sit at your seat either way, whatever way you feel comfortable. But you cry out to God and ask Him for the help that you need. Let's stand together. Heavenly Father, I just pray that you just please bless this invitation. May your hand of mercy be upon me, Lord, as, as I spoke your word today. And Lord, may Jesus, you be with the activities to follow. Vacation Bible School and the uh, birthday party for Daniel. Bless all that you can in Jesus' name. Amen. God spoke to your heart. You come. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for this message, Lord. I'm so glad you spoke to my heart about it. Pray, Lord Jesus, that we would be a peculiar people, zealous of good works.